Good morning. I'd like to thank you for coming today. Today's a very special day. As most of you know, we had a baptismal service last Sunday. Wow, just a tremendous time. Larry Smith just ministered and uh, seven people were baptized and some came as far as from Ohio to be baptized in water. And it's so good to see people not only receive Christ as their personal Savior, but to follow that through. We have some more candidates that's going to be baptized today. So I am going to end my time here this morning at 20 minutes to 12. And, uh, and then Brother Larry is going to come up, and then we will have, uh, ending the service, another baptismal service. So we are excited about that, and uh, we, we look forward to that. We'll have the scripture on the screen. Read with me, if you will, from the New King James Version, 2 Kings chapter 13, verses 14 through 21. Here we go. Elisha had become sick with the illness of which he would die. Then Joash, the king of Israel, came down to him and wept over his face and said, Oh, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and their horsemen. As most of you know, or many of you know, Elisha followed Elijah in uh, the prophetic ministry for Israel. Elisha was a prophet for Israel about 60 years, but Elijah was taken home, or, or he never died. He just was carried by a chariot into heaven. Uh, and uh, here this king is saying, uh, my Lord, uh, the chariot of the Lord of Israel and the horsemen. And Elisha said to him, take a bow and some arrows. Now you know what this is up here for. Take a bow and some arrows. So he took himself a bow and some arrows. Then he said to the king of Israel, put your hand on the bow. So he put his hand on it. And Elisha put his hands on the king's hands. Verse 17. And he said, open the east window. And he opened it. Then Elisha said, shoot. And he shot and said, the arrow, this is important, read it, the arrow of the Lord's deliverance and the arrow of deliverance from Syria. For you must strike the Syrians of Apec till you have destroyed them. Then he said, take the arrows. So he took them and he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground. So he struck three times and stopped. And the man of God was angry with him and said, you should have struck five or six times. Then you would have struck cereal till. I love that word till. Underline that in your mind. God wants us to keep on until the things happen. Till you have destroyed it. But now you will strike Syria only three times. Then Elisha died and they buried him and their uh, raiding bands from Moab invaded the land in the spring of the year. Look at verse 21. So it was as they were burying a man that suddenly they spied a band of raiders and they put the man in the tomb of Elisha. When the man was let down and touched the bones of Elisha, he revived and stood on his feet. I mean, if you read some translation, he quickly stood on his feet. Father, we ask you to bless the reading of your word. Speak to our hearts, Lord. Not only may we hear with our ears, but may we hear and listen with our hearts. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, let's talk somewhat about the lost art 
of perseverance. Our title deepening our determination to persevere. Or and maybe for some of us, we could talk about regaining our passion for the Lord. Look at the introduction. In an age of instant oatmeal and microwave popcorn, we're not too big on perseverance. We want everything to be delivered to our doorstep in our timeline at our convenience. In such a society, how do we develop the art of perseverance? And that's what I want you to ask yourself this morning as we look at this scripture. And understand this is God speaking to us. To persist in a state, the uh, Webster's, look at it, dictionary defines perseverance in the following words. To persist in a state enterprise or undertaken in spite of counter influences, opposition, or discouragement. May we look at the lessons learned from a symbolic act taken from 2 Kings. And understand it is a symbolic act. Here the king of Israel comes down to visit Elisha, who is himself on his deathbed. I don't understand that. You know, Elijah performed many, many miracles. Elisha wanted a double portion from uh, granted to him uh, through Elijah from God. And Elisha performed double the miracles that Elijah did. And yet, here this man is on his deathbed. Someone said he was 80-some years old. He's about to die. The king comes down, and then he's weeping over Elisha and said, Elisha said, time out. It's not time to weep. Take these, this bow and these arrows. Let's, let's get the work done. There's, there's a lot that needs to be done. And let's notice as we look at the outline, the arrow of the Lord's deliverance. Keep in mind spiritual warfare. All of us are in battles. If we know the Lord Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, there's not a day that we won't battle something in our lives. First of all, we need, you and I, the believer needs to declare war against sin. Amen? We need to declare war against sin. You say, what, what do I need to declare war against? Whatever you're battling, whether it's pride, whether it's anger, whether it's some kind of addiction, maybe you're struggling with fear. And we need to say, I am going to win. I am going to be victorious over fear. Maybe it's some kind of wicked passion that hounds you every day or hounds you often, and you're battling those, those temptations. Uh, we need to smite the enemy until the enemy is defeated. Some people b battle this very same thing much of their life. I did. I, I battled anger for many, many years. Didn't have to, but it was something that uh, was inbred in me because of the atmosphere and the surroundings that I was raised in. But God gave me victory over anger. Do I still get anger? Angry? Yeah. Does it control me? No. Whatever tries or whatever controls you, we need to declare war against it. I want you to notice, I love this, the minute instructions that Elisha gave to this king. First of all, look at verse 15. Elisha said to him, 
Now notice, take a bow and some arrows. So he took himself a bow and some arrows. Then he said to the king of Israel, put your hand on the bow. So he put his hand on it. And Elisha put his hands, I love this, on the king's hands, verse 17. And he said, open the east window. Look at all the instructions. God wants us to follow what he says. He wants us to do what he says, when he says it, and how he says it. And he opened it. Then Elisha said, shoot. I love this. And he shot. And he said, the arrow of the Lord's deliverance and the arrow of deliverance from Syria. For you must strike the Syrians till you have destroyed them. Then he said, here you go again. He's telling him again. Take the arrows. And he, so he took them and he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground. So he struck three times and stopped. So all of these very important, minute instructions that he gave to him. This is a call for action. Now, he says, open the window. I doubt there was a Syrian soldier out there. I don't think there was anybody out there. I just think he shot. I just think he shot out the window in obedience to the man of God. Now, Shoot, and that's, that's exactly what he did. God, I love this statement, is aiming at something the saint cannot see. If God says shoot, he's got something he wants you to shoot at. It may be something you can't see. It may be something that will come later. But if God says shoot, then shoot. But God, I don't know what I'm shooting at. That's okay. If God says do it, do it. If God says go, he'll prepare the way for you to go. Amen? Amen. God's deliverance has gone forth, found its mark, and done its work. You see, God's people walk, act, pray, and shoot in faith. Doesn't matter what it is. God tells us to shoot. God's deliverance has gone forth. Look at it. A promised deliverance. The arrows of the Lord God will be in the midst of the battle if, if we'll just simply obey him. Second of all, not only a promise delivered, but a definite deliverance. What? From Syria. Now, we're not fighting Syria today, but there are battles that you and I are fighting. And I mentioned those a while ago. And then we have a divine deliverance. God's or the Lord's deliverance. Aren't you glad that you don't have to fight your battles by yourself? Aren't you glad when you step out to fight the enemy that God helps you fight that battle? Doesn't matter what that battle may be, he helps you to fight the battle. Divine guidance. You see, when Elisha told King Joash to put his hand on, I love this, and, and, and just allow me, if you will, to, to illustrate this. He took, he took the bow. And when he put his hand on the bow, God put his hand. Elisha put his hand on his. And when you put your hand on the bow, guess whose hand's on your hand? Guess who's going to direct that arrow? Guess who's going to help you fight that battle? 
Guess who is with you? Divine, the wisest of us needs divine direction. I don't care how good you are. I don't care how wise we are. All of us needs God's hand on our hand to fight the battle. Amen? This is a beautiful picture of how God places his hand over our weak human hands to accomplish, listen to this, supernatural things. He said, Peter, I'm just a human. I'm just human. It doesn't matter. God said he would be with you at all times. The arrow of the Lord's deliverance. Second of all, we may limit the deliverance of God by our own conduct. A lot of times we never completely win or never to completely defeat the enemy because we limit God. Look at, uh, if you will, at Psalm 78, 41. Yes, again and again they tempted God, talking about Israel, and limited or provoked the Holy One of Israel. Joash failed because he gave up. Passionateless performance. How about us? Is our performance passionateless? We, we just halfway, half-hearted do what we do for God. We may limit God, as we just said. We limit God by our lack of trust. We limit God because we often lean on our own selves. And we limit God because we live and act by our feelings. And a lot of times we limit God by the lack of expectation that God is really going to do it. Well, preacher so-and-so is not here, or the crowd's this way, or I feel this way, or I can't do this because of so-and-so, and our expectation is so low. God wants us to act and to walk in faith. Poverty of faith ensures partial success. His heart was not in it. I wonder, with us being at church this morning, is your heart in it? Is your heart in what God's going to do? Is your heart in what you do for the Lord? Is your heart in praying? Is your heart in worshiping? Is your heart in witnessing for the Lord? Or we just haphazardly go about it. It's important because if we, if we don't, we certainly limit God. Number four is probably going to be one of the most important things I talk about today. It is what we are in secret before God that fixes the amount of victory, not only the amount of victory, but the blessing we enjoy in our walk and service before the Lord. Friday night is a wonderful time of prayer, and it's what we do on Friday night that causes the results to happen on Sunday morning and during the week. Sunday morning is a time of prayer. Tuesday is a time of prayer. It's what we do in secret that counts, that really counts. One of the greatest men that I've ever followed in ministry is Reinhard Bunke. He's a German minister. He's sort of semi-retired recently. Uh, but Reinhard Bonnke preached to millions and millions of people. He uh, was a man that walked and lived by faith. He preached mainly 
in the continent of Africa, all over Africa. And through his ministry, there were 77 million people that accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine preaching for ever how many years he preached? He's older than I am, so he's old as dirt. And, uh, but, but anyway, he's pre he preached for many, many years. 77 million people were saved. People by the hundreds that were blind, totally blind. Their eyes were open and he could see. He was preaching one time in their, this one particular service. And that one particular service, there was one million people saved. There was another time he was preaching and he saw them passing a young child toward him. You know, like these sports places where they pass people over and over. That's what they were doing. They were taking and here comes this child toward him from way back, way back. And they finally put that child in his, in his arms. And that child was dead. He dropped that child. He landed on his feet and started running across the platform. God raised him from the dead and healed him. Reinhard Bunky. You say, Pastor, what was the secret of his ministry? He had a prayer team that would go to every city he preached in. They would go sometimes one week, two weeks, three weeks before he ever got to that city. And they prepared the way. It's what they did in secret that caused the power of God to move in his life. He said we need the fire. Here's some things that he talked about. We need the fire of the Holy Ghost. He said that God spoke one, uh, to him one time and said, God's word in your mouth is just as powerful as it is in his mouth. I believe that. We need the fire of the Holy Spirit. He said some people are like asbestos. I hope you don't stop the fire of God from moving in your life and in our lives. But it is what we are in secret before God that fixes the amount of victory and blessing we enjoy in our walk before men. It's what the king did behind closed doors that limited God when it comes to the Syrian army. And if you read, finish reading that chapter, you'd find that out. It's very important. The importance of perseverance. perseverance. We need patience. We need determination. And you and I certainly need passion. We need determination and passion in our prayers. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 7 and 8. Ask and keep on asking and it will be given you. Seek and keep on seeking and you will find. Knock and keep on knocking and the door will be open to you for everyone who keeps on asking. I love this. Receives and he who keeps on seeking finds and to him who Keeps on knocking, it will be open. That's the Amplified, but it's important that we do these things. Amen? Amen. Are we fervent in our prayer time? 
And then we find in witness in Acts 5 and 29, it says, Peter said it's, and the other disciples answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than man. They tried to stop them from witnessing, but they were on fire for God so much until they said, we're not going to obey you. We're going to obey God. And they continued to witness even though they got locked up. In obedience to God. When it comes to working for the Lord, some people, when it comes to work, come a leaving. God wants us to be about our Father's business. They marched around the walls of Jericho. How many times? Day after day after day after day. They kept on marching. Don't stop. Don't give up. The Bible says in James chapter 1, this is the NIV, verses 2 through 4 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Verse 4, let perseverance work, finish its work that, so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking nothing. We need to allow God time to mature us and to bring out the best in us if we just be faithful to the Lord. One of my greatest verses that I, one of my, that I really enjoy is found in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. But those who wait on the Lord, talking about endurance, talking about perseverance, shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and get very tired. Is that what he said? No. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and they'll faint. Didn't say that. God says if we will be obedient to him, if we will wait upon him, and that waiting upon him is waiting with expectation, and he will grant that unto us. In obedience to him, and then number four, notice it, perseverance, develops character. We need to be passionate in our praying. We need to be passionate in our worship. I love this statement. Someone said this, listen, all too often we allow destiny to be sabotaged by the passion police roaming the halls of our worship. There's no passion police here. Obey God. Be obedient to God. Allow the Holy Spirit to bless and allow the Holy Spirit to minister. We're going to have the baptismal service now. Would you bow your heads, please? Sister Judy, would you come to the pen in just a moment, please? There's a little song we're going to sing, but I'm going to believe the Lord before Brother Larry comes. Father, we are so thankful that you have called us to persevere. You've called us, dear God, to not faint, not to give up. And should there be a person here today and their, their walk with you where they feel like, Lord, I've gone the last mile of the way, or I'm weak, I'm feeble. Maybe they'd like to run up the white flag of surrender to the temptations that comes their way. 
But God, I thank you because you have placed us in a position and placed your hand on us to guide us, to lead us. But Father, that hand is not only there to guide, but it's there to strengthen. It's there to comfort. It's there to bring peace. And for that, we're so thankful. We're so grateful. We ask, dear Father, that you'd search our hearts and help us today as we, as we look to you. I pray, God, that you might touch these candidates that's going to be baptized. Lord, I just ask that your Holy Spirit might do a work in hearts and lives. Speak in Christ's name we pray. Our heads are bowed and eyes are closed and no one looking around. Maybe you're here today and you, you know Christ, but you'd like to rededicate your life back to him. And you'd like to pray this prayer with me. We'd like to say, Lord, I, I just want to draw to you. I have been weak, but I'm going to receive strength. Would you pray with, pray with me? Say, Heavenly Father, everyone pray it. Heavenly Father, I come to you today. Pray it out. Sorry of my sins. I ask you to forgive me and to cleanse me. I repent today. I draw close to you today. I renew my relationship with you today. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Now, Father, you've heard our prayers. There's not a person here today that prayed that prayer in faith that you did not touch their heart and receive them and satisfy their life. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Metallurgist had developed a new tough steel with unusual properties. Production executives tried and reported it could not be used in manufacture because it was too hard to be worked. They had tried to drill, but the drill bits with, uh, drills bent without even making a scratch. Don't blame the steel, Charles F. Kettering told them. It's not too hard. It's that your drills are too soft. And using diamond point drills, they quickly bored into the new steel. Dr. Kettering told this incident at a meeting of the United States Chamber of Commerce to show that usually the job is not too hard, but that the men may be too soft. They need to harden their cutting edge with some stick to -iveness. And so what we've shared with you today is for all of us to be men and women of stick to when it comes to serving God. Brother Larry. I got a little concerned this morning when I came in the office and pastor had bows and arrows. I said, he's going to get somebody's attention today. Those are sharp arrows. And I said, Pastor, what are we going to do with those things today? He said he was going to do a little sermon illustration. Now, we're going to have another baptism service. Now, some of you are probably thinking, well, we just had one of those last Sunday. I wish we'd have one every Sunday. As far as I'm concerned, we can have people repent, come up here and be baptized every Sunday. Because if we're not doing that, what are we doing? 
That's what we're called to do. That's what the church is called to do, is to go out like Pastor said. Pastor's passion is that we push. Everybody's pushing against us. Everybody's pushing everything on us. Maybe it's time we push back a little bit. Because we got one on our side that's going to win. And we start to push back with the power of the Holy Spirit, with the power of God's Word, it pricks the heart. It does. It pricks the heart. But we're going we're gonna to have ourselves another baptismal service. We got two that want to be baptized today that couldn't be baptized last Sunday. And for those of you who were here last Sunday, wasn't that a powerful service? Seven people baptized. Six planned and one spontaneous. And we're going to offer you a chance to spontaneously be baptized again this morning. If you said that prayer that pastor led you in and you meant that, you come be baptized today. There was a little girl by the name of Alyssa Sepalak, 12 years old. And we were about to finish that service yesterday. And that little voice, she jumped up right there at the altar. She said, I want to be baptized. And we brought her up here on this podium. And when I asked her, I said, Alyssa, do you know what it means to trust Christ? Have you put your faith and your hope in him as your savior? She said, yes, I do. Do you agree to make him the Lord of your life and follow him? Yes, I will, with boldness. And we put her in that water and we baptized her. She won't worry about her clothes being wet. You know, I told the story about the uh, Ethiopian. Philip come up on an Ethiopian, a wealthy man, and he was reading the scripture, and he revealed who Christ was for, to, to uh, the Ethiopian, and that, just that quick detail says, what prevents me from being baptized? And, and you know what? Philip didn't say, well, your clothes might get wet. He didn't say that. He said, nothing. Do you believe that Christ is the Son of God? Yes, I do. Then let's be baptized right now. Yeah. Right now. And if you're here this morning and God's dealing with you, right now. Today is the day of salvation. It is. I don't know what next minute holds for me. Or the next second for that matter. Some of you know I've been out on some things across the nation where people were left this earth just like that. Just attending a concert. Police officers sitting in restaurants eating. Walk in right there. They never thought for one second when I walk into the restaurant to eat a meal, I'll never come out of it. And that's not to scare you, but it's reality. That's why Paul said that today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. If you were here last week, I gave you an outline. And if you were not here, I want to give you an outline. So if you were not here last Sunday, if you'll raise your hand, and, and, and someone's going to send you an outline. If you're like me and hope you had last week's outline, you still got it tucked in your Bible. If you don't and you want one, uh, I want to get one to those who didn't get one. And, and I, I think it's important that we know why we do what we do, church. We don't do it just to be doing it. We do it because we're following the Lord and we want to do what the Word says do. And that's what baptism is about. One thing to keep in mind is that baptism does not save us. Baptism is simply an outward expression of an inner change. You've come to the Lord. You've accepted Him as your Savior. You know He is your only way of salvation and your only hope, and you've committed to make Him the Lord of your life, and you want to express that in baptism. And that's what baptism is. There are many instances in Scripture where Jesus and the early apostles commanded us to be baptized. Father, thank you, Lord, for your presence. It's already been here. Thank you that your presence has been with us in worship. It's been with us in your word. Thank you for the word that you said in Pastor Don's heart that we will persevere, that we will stand strong. And I thank you for those who are willing, Lord, to come and be baptized. And we ask your anointing on the remainder of the service. In Jesus' name, amen. Look at your, look at your outline. 
Why, don't, why are we baptized? Look at number one. Jesus was baptized to fulfill all righteousness. That's in Matthew 3 and 15. Jesus was baptized. Jesus didn't have to be baptized. He was perfect. He, was never, he never sinned. So he didn't have to be baptized. But he did. And he did it for a couple reasons. Number one was to show obedience. Now can you imagine, here's John the Baptist. John the Baptist was a forerunner to Jesus. He knew he was coming. He's baptizing. He has instituted the doctrine of repentance. And he's baptizing, and lo and behold, Jesus walks up. And he recognizes him. He knows who he is. And, he's, and, and Jesus says, I want you to baptize me, John. And can you imagine? John was like, well, oh, no, no, you need to be baptizing me. And Jesus looked at him and said, permit it to be so to fulfill all righteousness. The word righteousness means right. Permit it to be so to do what is right. And if Jesus thought it was right, I think I ought to think it's right. He's smarter than me. I want to follow in his footsteps. So I want to be, and I have been, baptized. Pastor spoke quite a bit this morning on obedience. And I mentioned this, and I'll say this to Ashley and to Destiny and to every believer in here. Much of what you do in your walk with the Lord is going to be about obedience. It's going to be simply obeying what the Lord has commanded us to do. I wish I could tell you, and I can, you can talk to people whose hair is grayer than mine, who's maybe walked this longer than I have, and they're going to tell you there's times that it's, most of the time, it's about obedience. It's about knowing what the Lord has commanded us to do and doing it, and it's about knowing what the Lord has told us not to do and not doing it. it Oswald Chambers said this, the best measure of a spiritual life is not its ecstasies, but its obedience. That's how we know if people have really sometimes had a true heart changes. They become obedient. They become obedient. Obedient in serving, obedient in witnessing, obedient in giving, many of the things that Pastor mentioned. It's about obedience. I wish I could tell you, and, and, and maybe I'm just speaking for myself, that you'll all of a sudden, lo and behold, you're going to feel like doing this all the time. You're not. The Bible gives clear, clear instruction that there's going to be a war going on at times between your flesh and the Spirit, between the things you want to do and the things you know you don't want to do. Read Romans 7, and you'll read one of the greatest apostles of the Bible and the struggle that he had. And if he had it, I can't sit here and think, I'm not going to have it. But through the Spirit and the power and the grace of God, we can overcome those things. And through the Spirit and the power and the grace of God, when we fail, we get up. We have a, we have a merciful God. He's, he's slow to anger. He forgives. We say, God, forgive me for where I'm at. Help me and get up and keep going. Don't let the devil or anybody else keep you there, and we'll talk about that for a minute. He wanted to show support for what John was doing. John was baptizing. Jesus wanted to show support for that. So he, he, he came out and was baptized. Jesus was beginning his public ministry when he was baptized. And when you come to the Lord and you become a believer and a follower of his, you have begun your public ministry. We're all called to be ministers. Not just a pastor, not just the deacons. We're all called. We're all called to work for his kingdom. And lastly, he was identifying with the penitent people of God, not the Pharisees. There was a group of believers at that time. They were self-righteous. They didn't need this. They knew, you know, they, they had it all together. They didn't need to go down there and be baptized by John with these people who were saying they weren't perfect. But that's not who Jesus identified with. He identified with the lowly. He identified with those who were sinful because he knew the condition of their heart. And who, he knew their heart was prepared to receive what he had for them and only what only he could do for them. Next, 
it identifies the believer with Christ in three areas. Look at Romans 6, 3 through 4. This is Paul writing. He said, Or do you not know that as many of you were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. You're identifying with Christ in three areas. The reality of it is, folks, we identify with something. We do. I, for many years, I identified with being a police officer. You may identify with being, I identify with certain people in my family. Some of you identify with your professions. You identify with your families. And that's okay. But there's nothing like identifying with Christ. That has eternal changes in our lives. You were identified with him in his death. Look at Galatians 2 and 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. You identify with Christ's death. Paul was not physically crucified. He said, I still live in this flesh, but I'm not chasing after that sin nature anymore. I put it on the cross, and I'm going to leave it on the cross, and identify with death to that sin nature and the things that I used to chase after. I will commit not to chase after those things anymore. They're dead. Next, we identify with Christ in burial. Leaving the old nature in the water. Look at 2 Corinthians 5 and 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I challenged the, the candidates last week that as you're standing in that water, and look, it's warm today. We got the heater working. Last week it was cold. So we can let them stand in there a little bit longer. But I challenged them. I want to challenge these two that when you're standing in that water, when you're about to be baptized, I want you to think about that when you go into that water, you leave that old life there. Leave the old things there. Unfortunately, whether it's at the cross or whether it's in the water, Christ, when he, we are new creatures. This passed away. But we pick them right back up off the altar. We bring them right back out of the water, and we carry them right out that door with us. Leave it in the water. Leave the old nature in the water. And when you come up out of that water, whether it's your friends that still say, oh, look, you're no different than I am, or whether it's someone else, or whether it may be someone in the church, remember who you are in Christ. And you leave that in the water. I, I said last week I had the opportunity to be baptized in the Jordan recently. I was baptized as a 13-year-old boy in the Eno River. I was saved then. But there were some things I needed to leave in the water, and I had a chance to leave them in the water in the Jordan. And I left them there. And you leave them there. Because that's where they belong. Anything he makes new is new. He don't do anything halfway. He does it whole. Next, you identify with the resurrection. It declares death to the old life and birth to the new. Look at Colossians 3, 1 through 3. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Set your mind on things above. You've got a new mind now. You're going to set your mind on what, where Christ is above and on the new things as you're resurrected out of the water. Lastly, baptism unites the believer to the local body 
of believers. It shows unity in the church. I get to do communion here from time to time, and I always mention this. I just, as everyone comes down to take their elements, there's just a sense of unity in that. Because we're all from different backgrounds. We're different races. We're different sexes. We're different socioeconomic positions. But as I watch us come down as the body of Christ, I see unity. And I sense unity. Well, the same is true of the second ordinance of the church, which is baptism. Look at 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 13. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also in Christ. For by one spirit, one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have been made to drink into one spirit. It, it, it makes us one. When we walk in there to be baptized, it don't matter if we're black, white, Hispanic. We got all those here, and I thank God for that, because that's what the kingdom of God looks like. We're male and female. So we have some have more money, some others, some are more educated. None of that matters. When we get to the foot of the cross, we're all equal. None of that stuff matters. See, that stuff is passing away. We become unified, and baptism symbolizes that unity to the church. It's, it's become popular now, even amongst sometimes Christians, to, to criticize the church. The church is still God's bride. It's still what he's coming for. Unity in the church. Next, it was practiced by the early church. Look at Acts 2, 38 and 41. We talk a lot about the early church. And I think the early church had it right. And I think we should follow in the footsteps of the early church. Acts 2 and 38 says, Then Peter said to them, the day of Pentecost has happened. The Holy Spirit has been poured out. And now Peter is up preaching his heart. Here's a guy who denied the Lord now. He denied him. But here he is. He's been baptized with the Holy Ghost. He's received the power. He's up preaching his heart out to thousands of people. And this is what he said to them. He said, then Peter said to them, repent. That's the same. It was for the early church. It's for us today. John the Baptist confirmed it. Jesus said it. The early church said it. Repent. Turn away. Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then later on it says in verse 41, just a couple of verses down, it says, Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. We, we, we have a system of baptism, and that's okay. But it wouldn't bother me one bit if his place was packed out and people were just coming up to be baptized like they were then. That they had gladly received the word of God. That their hearts had been changed. And they were baptized and repented. Lastly, it confirms you as part of the family of God. Look at Matthew 3 and 17. After Jesus was baptized, he comes up out of the water. And this is what happened. It said, And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And then if you look at John 1 and 12, it says this, But as many as received him, as many as received Christ, he gave them the right to become the children of God to those who believe in his name. I've been doing some studying recently on the idea of being a son and a daughter of God. The idea of adoption into his family. I don't think we talk about that quite enough. We are literally the sons and the daughters of God if we've come to him through Christ. 
the literal sons and daughters of God. And I think about my own kids and what I wouldn't do for them, and I cannot love them like He loves me. And so I think about that. And I think what is important, particularly for new believers to understand this, is just as God was pleased with His Son, He's pleased with us as His children. And don't let people make you think that God's angry at you. Oh, I sinned today. I'm lost today. I'm saved tomorrow. He loves me. He loves me not. That'll make you crazy. But I will tell you this. He loves you too much to leave you where you are. And if there's things in your life, He's going he's to peel them off. It might take some time. He's still peeling things off of me. He's going to peel them off. That's why it's important to be connected into a local body of believers to help you. That's why it's important to be in the Word of God to know what it says. We can't obey what we don't know. But you have to understand who you are. Once you become saved, once you submit your heart to Him, the Bible says you are in Christ. You'll never be any, any more in Christ than you are then. But you're going to grow. You're going to grow. It's sanctification. I said this last week. What that is, that is your position. That is your character catching up with your position. You are positioned in Christ, and he's going to work on your character for the rest of your life until you're in his presence and made perfect. And one day we'll be perfect. We'll be perfect in his presence. But he's still smoothing off some edges. At least he is on me. Maybe you've gotten there, I have He's still smoothing some edges on me. But it's important to know who we are in him and, and, and the safety that we have in him and the love that we have in him. I found this uh, statement about baptism. It's at the bottom of your page. It says, in baptism we express that we have been initiated, crowned, chosen, embraced, washed, adopted, gifted, reborn, and thereby sent forth and redeemed. We are identified as one of God's own, then assigned our place and our job within the kingdom of God. When you come to the Lord, you accept him, and you're baptized, you're set out on a mission. And that mission is a lifelong journey. It is a lifelong journey. But he's with you every step of the way. He's with you. Just as Pastor did that sermon illustration, he said that God's hand, well, let me tell you, when you come to him, his hand slips in your hand, and he walks with you every step of the way. You know, sometimes you won't feel that. That's why it's so important to function on faith, not on feeling. That took me a little time to get there. To function on who I am in Christ, not because of how I feel, because what he said. And that'll carry you a long way. There's sometimes I feel it, man. There's sometimes I could run all over this place and I sense his presence and I, sense, and I love that. But there's sometimes, quite frankly, I don't mind telling you, he feels a million miles away from me. But he's not. Sometimes that might be when he's closest to me. When I'm willing to dig in a little bit, then it requires me to dig in a little bit. It requires me then to function in faith. God, I don't feel you. God, this ain't turning out the way I thought it would. God, this diagnosis ain't what I thought it was. But you know what? I'm going to, just as Pastor said, I'm going to persevere. I'm going to persevere. Because he's faithful, and he will always be faithful.